On this week's episode, are extremists in politics a good thing? Should the Biden administration appoint a truth czar? And Gene Getman joins the show for our monthly social villains segment. That's a tease. And this is Mike Coscarelli Rules. He is so cute. (laughs) Mike Coscarelli? Mike Coscarelli. (laughs) Mike Coscarelli is here as well. He's the producer for this failing fucking radio show. A big hand for Mike something Italian. And we're back. It's Mike Coscarelli Rules. This is the voice of failed comedian Mike Coscarelli. Well, folks, I have to start off by saying that you were supposed to get two episodes last week and you didn't get them. Um, There is an explanation for that. I'll get into that in a second. To give you a little tease of what's coming up here, uh, I'm going to keep this intro short because uh, Gene Getman has come back for his monthly social villains hit with me. This one was an interesting one. Uh, I I ended up... um, you know, really taking the razor to the tape and editing some stuff out, shorten this conversation. Also, it was supposed to come out last week and it's coming out today. Uh, so it dated some of the things we talked about. We had a whole conversation about the GameStop um, fiasco that I pretty much had to take out. Not because it was bad or offensive, but just because, you know, the fervor of that is sort of over. So there didn't seem to be a lot of reason to, to leave that in. But it's still a pretty good conversation. Um, we end up talking a lot about sort of the current state of, um, I guess, cancel culture, news media. There's a lot of stuff in there. It, it's pretty typical of an older Social Villains episode, uh, which, by the way, is buried. Good luck trying to find it. You'll never find it. We will never be canceled. Um but it's not quite as funny as we used to be. And maybe it's because we're not living in particularly funny times and we're not, um, you know, we're older. So we're more mature. We're, we're almost like grumpy old men now. We're not as funny as we used to be. And neither of us are comedians anymore. So that doesn't help. <laughs> um, yeah, you were supposed to get two episodes last week. But one of the things that you're going to hear when I talk to Gene, which some of you may know or some of you might not know, is that I got fired from my job last month. So um, uh, the last two months, obviously for the first month, I was able to put a lot of energy into this show, which is why it sounds the way it sounds, as as hopefully as good as I think it sounds. You sort of think the same. Um, Because I had the time. I'm not working. If, If Also, if you can guess the employer, if you're... If you uh, if you followed me through, you know, people that do employ me or people that are sort of uh, in my my scene, um, you can probably guess who fired me. I won't even say the name of the company that did it, but I'll tell you this out of all the people that I work for. Some of you you know, may know some of them. It wasn't Corinne and Christina. I'm still working for them. I'm still the musical director uh, and editor of Guys We Fucked, and I am the producer of um, Voices in Our Heads. Christina Hutchinson's other show. So I'm still working for them. So it's the other people. They're the ones who fired me. But yeah, so I've, I've been uh, technically out of work for about a month and a half or so. Because I've been out of work for a month and a half, uh, I have been really hustling hard trying to pick up freelance stuff to make sure that I can pay my rent. Uh, and so far, so good. But... Having said that, it does sort of, not that this isn't a priority for me, because I never want to make it sound like that, but 
I have a couple projects that it makes it a little harder for me to do two episodes of this show uh, and justify it to my bank account when I'm also filing for unemployment and uh, trying to, to pick up these side gigs. So there's that. So bear with me. I am sorry that this is sort of late again and you guys didn't get two episodes, but I'm going to try to keep doing as much content as possible. I did hire an associate producer. She's going to be helping me starting next week. Uh, her name is Ronnie Side. She's a really smart kid. I think you guys are going to like her a lot. She's not going to be on mic much. She's going to speak when spoken to. And she knows. We've already talked about it. She's aware. But she's been doing those little videos for me on the Instagram. She's cool. You're going to like her. So that should help uh, sort of get this content um, under control. Um, but it does, you know, having been unemployed now for uh, about a month and a half, it has sort of informed the way that I am looking at the world. It's informed my political opinion a little bit, which again, you'll find out when I talk to Gene, it has driven me way more left. I am a borderline socialist at this point because, you know, if the free market shut down, how are you supposed to make a living and survive? I, I was living a certain lifestyle, nothing that crazy, but, you know, I have a car here in New York City. I pay rent, which, as you can imagine, pretty expensive. And at the snap of a finger, it's taken away from you. And you have to hustle and try to figure out a way to survive when there are not really a whole lot of jobs. So... The current state of the world that we're living in sort of informs your, my opinion on, on this stuff. Um, and it's interesting the way the world changed and how life has changed so much. For instance, we have Valentine's Day coming up. I don't know about you because I don't know what your romantic situation is. I'll tell you mine is not particularly good. Um, I think Valentine's Day overall is a very stupid holiday, but this is the first time I think I'm feeling it and it, my feelings are hurt. I feel lonely, you know, we're, we're just deep in this depression in New York city. Nobody is on the street at all. It's, it's been snowing for two and a half weeks straight. There's snow everywhere. You can't even get across the sidewalk. There's garbage all over the street because garbage isn't picking up. This just stinks. And I don't know, man. Hopefully the winter is almost over. We're nearly ha halfway through February already, which is nice because hopefully that means that March comes and things get a little better for us. But this is a tough one, man. So coming from somebody that doesn't have somebody on Valentine's Day, if you do, anybody, if you have anybody in your life that you love enough. My opinion has changed on this so much from when I thought that it was just such a stupid, dumb holiday. But feeling as alone as I feel right now, overall, and I don't even want to just say romantically because that's not fully what it is, you know. I have a couple of roommates and that's nice, but they're annoying the shit out of me. And I just personally feel very alone and I no longer even have, you know, work friends that I get to see on, over Zoom once a day kind of on my own. If you have somebody in your life that feels special to you, I think right now this is the time to really try to make them feel special because I really think that this is a time where speaking as somebody who feels very alone, if you are very alone and you feel that way, it would be nice to know that 
someone is thinking about you. The way this year has been, the general loneliness of this whole situation that we're all in. Maybe the holiday is not as stupid as 25-year-old Mike seemed to think it was. Because I think I kind of understand the meaning now. And the day exists to sell greeting cards, but the sentiment of making somebody feel special and feel loved is not lost on me now that I have matured and now that I am in this uh, sort of emotional pit that we're in. So, please, if you love somebody or somebody loves you and you can make them happy by making them feel thought of, you should do it. You only got a couple days left, but you should do it. Be a good person. Tell people around you that you love them. Okay. Uh, This introduction... I don't think there was one laugh in it. Not one. But hey, it'd be like that sometimes, huh? This is the last you're going to hear of me until uh, I start talking to Gene. So, friends, listeners, whoever I'm talking to right now, please go rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a nice review. Some of you guys are really leaving some some doozies, and I appreciate it. Um, I try not to read them because I know one of these days there's going to be a one star on there that says Mike stinks and I'm going to be very unhappy with that, but that's the way it is. Um, yes, please rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff. Um, I'm going to keep it rolling. Got more content coming once Ronnie starts and book some bigger guests, keep this a little more organized, keep it a little more consistent, do some extra content for you. Um, but also keep in mind, bear with me cause I'm working on some projects that, uh, I need to work on to get paid and, uh, it might be a little bumpy for the next couple of weeks, but once we get into March, smooth sailing, um, until I get fired from these freelance jobs and then I have to find another gig and then we'll worry about that when that happens. But wish me luck with finding health insurance. All right. Without any further ado, here's Gene Getman. I'll be back in 11 seconds. Mike Coscarelli and Gene Getman are (laughs) Social Villains. All right, folks, we're back. It's Mike Coscarelli Rules. Gene Getman now joins me for a very special edition of social villains. Gene, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Thanks a lot. Um, we're wearing the same thing. We're wearing the same thing. Tracksuit boys. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Wall Street bets. Wall, Wall Street, Street bet bets. boys. <laughs> Did you I make any it. money? Off In- of GameStop? Yeah. No. God, no. It, I, I had no idea that was happening until it was done happening. Yeah, I'm actually surprised because I'm on Reddit a lot, but I also missed it completely. Yeah, I would have thought that that would have been something that you were in on, maybe perhaps even started, uh, <laughs> knowing you. That would be but, the highlight of my life. <laughs> to start a, a Reddit troll. I mean, trolling is some shit that you are, you know, as mentioned in the last episode where I, I really laid out the uh, the important, the case for why America loves trolling. Um, you were mentioned, Gene, as as a full-on trolling professional. Well, now that that's officially uh, secession, trolling is officially a form of domestic terrorism, then I don't know if I want to be known for that. You were heading that way anyway, though. Let's be serious here. (laughs) Domestic terrorism was in your future, (laughs) one way or another. 
you know, under this new regime, I think we should be very careful about the labels that we put on each other. <laughs> All right. So if you're a, a new listener and you you missed the first episode, obviously Gene and I used to do a podcast back in the day called Social Villains, where the two of us would get together every week. Um, myself being much more liberal than Gene, who is, uh, you know, sort of a uh, nihilist, <laughs> I guess is the best way to say it, loves just seeing dissension and chaos like a, like a, any Russian really does. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if I'm a nihilist, but actually in terms of my political views, I think Russian is a good way to describe it. <laughs> Hence the tracksuit. Beautiful. Yes. And the and nihilism. But not it's not I'm not Russian because I'm nihilist. I'm nihilist because I'm Russian. Right. It's a chicken or the egg type of yeah. situation. I completely get it. Um so uh last month we kind of just did a a big old catch up where we really just recap 2020 and, and the things that we missed talking, you know, by not talking to each other. But it's been a month since we've talked. Um, and a lot of stuff has happened in that last month. Gene, I would love to start by getting your thoughts on the inauguration. Because obviously, we, we, you and I missed a discussion about the, the insurgency at the Capitol. Um, we never got to talk about the inauguration. It's kind of weeks past. But before we get to the other things on the slate here, Knowing how you feel about the uh, current administration, what were your thoughts? <laughs> well, I didn't watch the inauguration because, you know, and I didn't watch Trump's inauguration either in 2016, mm. even though I um, I proudly took part in that event. <laughs> and, and electing him. <laughs> yeah, and, and making that happen. Um, but either way, uh, I, I don't think the inauguration is, in general, at this point, is anything to be really watched or, you know, taken seriously because it's all just political speech, right? It's really just there as a, I don't know what, just a rhetorical exercise in pacifying the voters. It's, it's purely empty, superficial political speech. And I think we've really crossed a, a threshold in this country where politics has no gravity to it whatsoever. As much as people talk about politics and as much as it's subsumed society culturally, the actual content of political discourse is so superficial and empty that it's really not even worth watching the prime sources. It's really, you know, Trump really um, set the bar for, I I don't know if I want to say set the bar, but did set the stage for superficial political rhetoric because you know, his method of speech and really the, if I were to say the main problem with Trump was his rhetoric. He was very unpresidential and divisive in his rhetoric, but not in the way that I would necessarily characterize as intentional or racist. You know, people tend to speak about his divisiveness as a extension of his racism, whereas I really see it as an incompetence in terms of um, his position as a politician. You know, Trump was a businessman and he was somebody who you know, made quite a career for himself in the public eye as a business person and as an entertainer by being a particular way. And that way works in certain scopes, right? In, in business, perhaps, and certainly in entertainment. But in politics, it takes a bit more um, candor and, uh, a little bit more of a, you know, help, help me out here. What's the word kind of like charisma, 
Um, uh, yeah, charisma is the word. I mean, Trump obviously has the charisma. Right, yeah. So charisma isn't quite the word, but you know, whatever it is that Obama had, Trump lacked. Because Obama really- Sincerity? No. no uh, well, I do believe Obama was sincere to a certain extent, but just making people feel like they're being- Warmth. Um, warmth. Warmth? Well, warmth is another one. Well, let's not hang Trump on Trump is but, not warm. No, There's no, no denying that he is not warm. Even yeah. George Bush- in some ways was warm. I think W I think was like, I think people still, my dad is a liberal and I've had conversations with my dad fairly recently where he's just like, yeah, I kind of still like him though. Ooh, a Bush. Yeah. W was one of the worst presidents we've ever had hands down. (laughs) And my dad was like, "Ah, ah, right. You would, you would never really say that about Trump. Although I guess Trump is also the kind of guy that you would love to hang out with. I still would love to, I would hang out with Trump. You really would? Of course. Of course. Why? And, and you would too. I mean, do no, you think- No, I don't think so. You wouldn't want to just get to know a person. He uh, Say what you I will think about that him. he's like, I think he is the supreme version of every like, like dickhead um, finance guy that I don't like now. And I don't, I wouldn't like the adult grown up on steroids version of that. I, I don't think in, in like, in, in, uh, in close quarters. I, I don't think. Yeah, perhaps, but it would be interesting. I it'd mean, be interesting just, for sure. Just, yeah, it'd be like being around a fucking like yeah, right. It'd be like being a, around like a, a bank robber or something. Like yeah, I I, I I guess I would like to be there for the story. I don't mean bank robber. I'm not necessarily comparing him to a criminal, even though he, by all accounts, is. I'm just saying. Well, I, don't, I don't think. That, uh, let's not say by any accounts that he's a criminal. I don't think I he think participated he in Listen, any sort of crime. Maybe not necessarily as president, but as a man, you don't think that when he was a private citizen, all by all accounts, he absolutely uh, lied on his taxes, which is a criminal offense. I don't. I don't even know if that's necessarily true. I mean, it I don't. Is. I don't know. I don't. Know. I, don't I don't have a. Let's, let's not go Gene, down that road. You have to keep in mind here. Speculate all you want. I'm the one that's going to get in trouble. <laughs> well, I <laughs> if also, I don't like the speculation, I'll stop you. But I'm enjoying it right now. Okay. Well, um, I forgot <laughs> what I was talking. Oh yeah, Trump. Just just the way he, you know, his his political candor was not necessarily the most um, amenable to getting things done. Right. Where mm. and, and he sort of set the bar to this very superficial type of populist speech that had you know as much as i enjoyed him in in the office of president i hated watching him speak i truly yeah. did that is one of the aspects of it which was the most sobering for me because you watch him speak and you're like god damn it you fucking idiot you sound like an <laughs> idiot but then you know it, he he uh he had such a an effect of uh, um what's the word uh uh you know, just deranging people on the left. That well, it, that's why you liked him. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that, the whole point of this. Again, going back to Gene being a, 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 a trolling mastermind, and and that was why his base liked him. His base liked the fact that he'd make the liberals cry, and the fact that they yeah. didn't really. They thought that he, you know, thought that he was a criminal, and, and then nothing would happen to him, and, and basically was getting off scot free with doing really whatever he wanted as the president and then gloating about it and rubbing it in their face. But here's to go back to what you were saying at the onset of that tirade that you had. It really is proof that you are as Russian as you say you are, Gene, 
Russians, you guys are very... Why, because I support Trump? No, well, that, but <laughs> you're very mechanical because you guys look at things, you know, you see the inauguration as this um, sort of meaningless uh, rhetorical type of event that is about politics when the truth is that it isn't really about politics. It's about ceremony. Uh, it is a big spectacle. It's that's really what it's about. Well, it's probably the biggest political ceremony that you can think of the inauguration of a president. So, yeah, of course, it's about ceremony and it is a ceremony, but it's certainly about politics. You can't divorce the ceremony from the political. It's about politics. But the truth is that it's really it's like a big it's a big party for the country. It's supposed to be this. That's really what it comes down to. A big party that's being chaperoned by 25,000 uh, National Guard troops. Yeah. Every country's always done that. That's what they <laughs> yeah. do. Russia Russia does that. <laughs> yeah, every, sure. Every time, no. Anytime Putin rigs an election, he, he gets uh, he gets escorted by their version of the National Guard. And they're- well, uh, I'm glad you and I are on the same page that this country <laughs> has not evolved to the level of dictatorship Russia, <laughs> where we need an entire armada to swear in the... Uh, the um, elected officials we're not in it great really shape. is look i mean no we're not it really is uh, whatever side of the aisle you're on you have to concede and a lot of people don't on the left which by the way i just want to interject a quick thing you mentioned uh you know that you're more liberal than i am or you know your dad's liberal you're kind of using this term liberal and i've really come to the understanding that using the word liberal to describe you know, say people like yourself or people uh, that are on the left, you know, Democrats are liberals. You know, it's kind of like this colloquial understanding that, oh, these liberals, they just want to, you know, talk about, I'm fucking doing my best to Alex Jones, right? I'm hearing it, yeah. (laughs) But that is an incredibly harmful rhetorical mistake to make is to refer to the left as liberals. It's part of the branding that allowed the left to become so popular in the cultural sense and the rights to become so demonized. And it's part of the rights, the right did it to themselves, you know, the Republicans, by branding the left as liberals. It allows the left to um, brand themselves as somebody, as a group that's in the favor of freedom and, uh, you know, human rights and equality and all of these things. When in fact, they are anything but liberal <laughs> at this point. And I mean that sincerely. The left no longer stands for anything that could be construed as liberal values. What they stand for is authoritarianism. They stand for regressive politics. They stand for identitarian. What is regressive? um, Well, for instance, judging people based exclusively based on their identity. The entire identitarian motif on the left is an incredibly regressive uh, movement that basically throws, you know, we just had Martin Luther King Day not too long ago. And the notion, you know, his basically um, seminal idea that we should judge people based on their character, not on the color of their skin, has been absolutely stepped all over by the left. Wow. It's been done so by codifying the identitarian values that the left does, basically saying that you should behave and act and see yourself not based on your character, but based on your identity, the color of your skin, your gender. I un- and- I understand that there there is um, 
identity politics are a major aspect of the political um current political climate and social climate it's not just yeah, politics. cultural climate yeah cultural I mean, america climate. has been subsumed but by how does that how does that undermine martin luther king's ideals that you should be judged on character i don't understand how one is separate from the other well, okay. Um, I would just—you're just saying stuff. <laughs> I just want to hear you your really, thinking on it. <laughs> you really don't see the connection. I kind of feel like I, it's self-evident. I understand. I'm, I'm I understand. To... I understand the Democrat. Even just picking somebody like Kamala Harris to be the vice president, of course, it's a political move. You want uh, a woman of color. There has not been a woman of color before, and you figure you want to, as a looking at it as a political animal. Yeah, you want to to sort of. Um, Make sure that you get as many votes as possible from black women, African-Americans like you want to you want that vote delivered to you if you are the left. Obviously, that makes sense. And I don't I'm not even saying that I think Kamal Harris is going to be good, bad, whatever. I, I don't I don't really I you know, whatever, as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, that's politics, dude. Like, that's always what it's been. It's just been in the past that the white power structure has delivered the votes. White, white power structure? Well, the, Wait, not, the white power structure or the white power structure? <laughs> I'm saying like like the political landscape in the past has has really just been, you know, older white guys that have, have run stuff until the last, I don't know, 30 years or so. And that's why, I mean, they, they still thought this way. Like they would still pick people to be each other's running mates and stuff based on electoral votes that that the party thought that that person could deliver. I mean, that's how this has always worked. And right now, yeah, the, I think, I do think that realistically you're less likely if you're on the right, if you're the Republican party to have, um, a diverse voter base, not, I'm not saying that there aren't black, Hispanic, Asian people that vote Republican. Well, but- I mean, look, the 2020 election, had the biggest turnout for Donald Trump by minorities of any. We, I, I think I mentioned we this last time. We talked about it last time. Yeah, I know there yeah. were there was so, a big Hispanic vote for him. Q, I mean, Cubans loved Trump and, and they black. Could, sure, yeah. There was a but that is why again turnout. that's why Kamala Harris was Biden's running mate. I mean, you. But look, you you basically what you're doing is validating this sort of cynical identity based politics that the left practices. You're saying like, oh, it's just politics, right? And they want the most votes for black people, so they nominate a black woman to be running mate. And you're kind of saying that in a way that, you know, it ignores the fact that that is a fundamentally bad thing. This sort of cynical politics is not a step forward. They shouldn't do that. You know what I mean? But it's also not to say that she's not qualified for the job. They're both well, things can be but it's true. also not to say that she is qualified well, uh, because sure. of her identity. Yeah. But that <laughs> right. is my point. The whole point, look, Mike, if you're, you know, back in the day, um, absolutely, politics was mainly um, done for and by white men, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely in this country's history, and even it's more or less recent history. I'm talking in the last 40 years or so. Mm -hmm. There was a um, over-representation of white men in American politics. I think that's fair to say. So that, that is not good that there was a overrepresentation um, not even just the overrepresentation but the implication was that not not that people of color so to speak 
which I don't like using that term, but let, let's just go ahead with the with the way people speak now. <laughs> okay. I mean, how is people of color different from just saying colored people? They just switch the words around and then pretend like they invented something new. But you know what I mean? Uh, people who are not white, right? The fact that okay. the implication is that people who are, who are not white were not allowed to participate in politics because of their skin color, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. There were too many white men in politics because other people were prevented from participating, whereas they were just as qualified and just as capable of doing the job as the white men. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the color of their skin and their identity should not be a factor in their participating in politics. And now all that we've done is come to a position where we flip the script and saying that because of their skin color and because of their identity, they are de facto qualified to participate in politics, which is a form of, you know, this rolls into the entire current obsession with so-called equity and anti-racism, where instead of leveling the playing field and saying that your identity should not be a factor in your, you know, acceptance into any, you know, business or politics, it is the only factor or rather the primary factor by which you should be considered. And that's regressive. I don't it's think it is. I think it's basically going. I think, oh, that, I think that that's community building. And I think that people are making a choice on who they prefer to have in their community. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. Obviously, you know, one of the, the things that we hang our hat on is that there's plenty of stuff that we disagree on and we end up having a conversation and, you know, it, it ends up being fine. We laugh about it. We're still friends, whatever. And, and tr- there's clearly plenty that we disagree on and it's fine. But I do think that there is an aspect to community building where you do, you know. What do you mean by community building? I think commu- uh, in community building, like let's just take Brooklyn as an example. If you walk around this neighborhood, like I live in Williamsburg, we live in two very different parts of Brooklyn. Yours is a lot more. I think it's fair to say that the the part of Brooklyn that you live in is a little more conservative. No, where all the Italians are and stuff out there. I know my people, (laughs) Brooklyn Italians, they go hard for Trump. Right. If you're walking through Williamsburg and you see all these coffee shops and and, uh, people's homes and, and storefronts or whatever that are that are promoting black lives matter and maybe not even in the window but their their belief is this anti-racist belief that you seem to have an issue with uh why would you want to be a part of that community why would i want to be a part of which community so, uh any like any of these communities you obviously would prefer not just you but people prefer to end up in communities where they have like some sort of like-minded ideals with people that they that they live amongst. Oh, so you're talking about segregation? It is in a way segregation, but it doesn't. It's and not. Wouldn't that be a regressive but it's not, uh, thing to but do? But people naturally segregate. I'm not talking about segregation racially. I mean, I I prefer to live amongst a diverse community of people. I like my neighborhood. I like walking around, and I like being amongst oh, Williamsburg, the most diverse community of people. I live in, where I live on uh, closer all, to the all white guys. It's not. <laughs> I live across the street from the projects. Uh, I I live a few blocks from South Williamsburg, where all the Jews are. Like I live in a diverse. I live in the diverse part of Williamsburg. I don't live by like the water where all the rich kids live. Oh, okay. But, 
Point is that I prefer it. I, I like it. This is where I'd rather be. I don't want to move to the suburbs at any point. I don't want to be amongst, uh, not to say that I don't want to be amongst other white people, but I like it here. I like I like my community. And I think that that's what this comes down to is like the, the anti-racist, whatever. People are just putting um, more emphasis on, I think, who they what they value and and they want their neighbors to, they would like their neighbors to value some of the same things. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, no, it's not. There's it's, certain places that you can go to where you know that everybody's going to be conservative and it's like, I'm never going to live there. I'm never going to live in fucking Arizona. You know, I'm never going to live in, in uh, Kansas. You know what I mean? It's just not that's fine. for me. But Mike, we started out talking about the Biden administration and Whereas Trump's administration was absolutely, you know, radically rejecting a lot of normal politics, the Biden administration is radically accepting some of these ideas of anti-racism and far-left politics directly into his cabinet. If you look at the people who he appointed to his cabinet, these are far-left radicals, some of them. And some of them have a, if you look at their background and their history, you know, they're they're radicals. I'm not going to... I'm not going to go through the list, but there should be, there should be. And I'm, and I'm honestly for the right as well. I, I think I always think that there, there needs to be a certain amount of radicals in the Senate, in the house. In, that is uh, Mike. That 100%, is 100% bro. 100% I mean, correct. I mean, I mean, and I don't, I don't mean that they need to just be liberal radicals. I think you need conservative radicals too. <laughs> what? I'm I, serious. Come on, Gene. Man. That's the only way. That is the only you're, way things you're describing to put. That, that's the it, only it, way things get to the middle. You need AOC. <laughs> I'm serious. You need because look, look what's that that, is, look what we're I, doing. I, respectively, Gene, look what we're doing. But look we're, what we're not doing. We're, though. But we are. We're arguing. We're arguing to a place in the middle. Exactly because we we're neither. You are not a radical leftist, and I am not a radical right leaning person. No matter how much you know how, what people think. I'm really not. In fact, I, I believe that I am what people should call liberal, such as yourself. I am a liberal. Okay. I okay. believe in classical liberal values that value, you know, individual sovereignty, judging people based on their character and on their output, you know, like all those things, basically every aspect of classical liberalism are ideas that I hold, you know, central to my belief system. And I believe that about you as well. Even though we may speak a slightly different rhetorical tone based on our political leanings, so to speak, or cultural beliefs, I think we truly have the same um, core ideology. Now, when you say that people are radical, this is, you know, it could be a question of semantics, but radicals have radically different ideologies. This is why AOC, somebody who's radically left, and Donald Trump, somebody who's radically right, especially in American politics. I don't really believe that Donald Trump is radically on the right, but he represents the radical right in America. You know? Sure. The, the, the radical Whatever right- Whatever that uh, is now. Yeah, is, exactly. They're Whatever not really Republicans is, anymore. Which is not Republicans. It's just this weird sort of QAnon, like this sort of seething conspiracy theory fueled cohort, right? It's just this weird sort of thing- uh, the, the American radical right. But those two extremes cannot, by definition, work together and will not work together. And their interaction on any level 
can only exacerbate things, not bring him more to the middle, but bring him further to the extremes. I if if we were and we are in like a especially divided time at the moment. Exactly. But that's also assuming that everybody in the House and in the Senate and I mean the cabinet is a, a little bit different, I guess, because they're in they are part of the administration. So it's it's very rare that there, there's going to be this, you know, cabinet. What was uh, what did they call Lincoln's cabinet? Cabinet of a uh, of uh, was a cabinet of opponents. I can't they called remember. It Lincoln's cabinet. <laughs> but having the AOCs and having the Ted Cruz's like I, I hate Ted Cruz. I think it's important that he's there. I think that there is like these people because what will happen is they introduce something that's re- that's radical, ridiculous. And then the people on the other side of the aisle go, get the fuck out of here with that. There's no way we're doing that. And then the, the people that the party that originated the, the bill or whatever they're originating comes back and says, all right, well, we're not going to do that. But how about we compromise and we do this? Like, forget forget crazy AOC. Let's let's meet somewhere here in the middle, okay? And that's how that's how it works. But without having that person on either the far right or the far left, I don't think you get to that middle because then it just becomes this this uh, handshake bullshit middle ground politics that doesn't really get anything done. Yeah, I, I would you have need, to disagree. I mean, I think on some you, level. In a in a uh, functional system, that may be the way things worked, and yeah, it, it is the way things work. But you have to see that, you know, the current political climate is so radically different from the way it was even ten or twenty years ago. When what you would have said would have been true, you know, when you talk about people on the far right and the far left, twenty or thirty years ago, or even ten, like I said, ten years ago, you would have been talking about people that are currently in the middle, where. As now, the people on the left are radical leftist, basically communists, the most radical of them, right? Communist socialists. And the people on the, on the radical right, I don't even know what the fuck they are, right? Well, yeah, fair. So- it, it, But it's, times it, it, change, dude. This exactly, is like- Exactly, Mike. Times it, change. Times have changed in a, in a significant way. And it would behoove us to acknowledge how significant that is. And what you're saying dismisses it rather than acknowledges it. Uh, how? Well, by saying you're basically using uh, language and rules that were valid 10 or 20 years ago and no longer are valid. So you would get rid of anybody that has any sort of radical idea on either side of the table. Well, I, I mean, I, how would I get rid of them? What, what do I I'm just, In an ideal them? world. If, Gene an ideal, Getman, if God Gene well, Getman was picking people up and, and deciding what their fates were. Yeah. I know I, you don't like AOC and I, I get it. I'm I, not, well, if I could get rid of Trump and AOC and all of these extremist politicians, I mean, that would only make for a better world. I mean, as much as I enjoyed Trump in office, in office it was only in the context of a situation that couldn't have been changed. I mean, the 2016 election was a, by definition, an election uh, between a rock and a hard place. You know, the reason <laughs> Trump got elected is because, I don't, and I don't know which one's which. <laughs> I don't know how hard right. Hillary's clit got when she thought about being president. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, but, you know, the, the lessons learned in the 2016 election and Trump's entire uh, um, presidency are just immediately lost on the left and on the right. Because the reason 
people even voted for Trump in 2016, knowing full well the bullshit artist and the, you know, agent of chaos that he was. Yeah. Is because the left, the Democrats, pushed Hillary Clinton on everybody saying basically that we don't care about what you want. We don't care what sort of politician you wanted. All they needed to do in 2016 is give us a decent option on the left and we would have taken it. But no, what they said is that you're going to vote for who we fucking say we we vote for. Bernie got fucking sacked by the DNC in 2016. Twice. And there were Yeah, exactly. Twice. And there were other choices as well. So what they're saying on the left is that we no longer represent the voting of the people. We no longer want give a shit about who the people want. We're going to serve you up whoever the fuck we want to serve you up. And you're going to fucking vote for him because your options are that's it. And in 2016, people said, fuck that. Fuck you. We're going to vote for this asshole just as a (laughs) fuck you to the establishment. And look, as in an ideal world, you know, because that's how we got here about who would I get rid of in an ideal world. Trump should have should have never even fucking come close to a political campaign. I know. Well, in an ideal world. But that's the thing. I are so disagree. far from an ideal world that most of what you said previously about the right and the left and the extremes working together is simply invalid. You know what? Maybe you maybe you're right. The more that I think about it now, the idea of having a, a QAnon person in in uh, in Congress right. think about is that. frightening. Think about fucking uh, the Viking running for senator. <laughs> I mean, the fuck kind of world are we going to live in? How how radical are we going to get at the extremes before we live in a society that absolutely collapses into itself? I mean, we. But this are, is the thing. Like, I I think that it's hard for me. It's hard for me to because I I I've been pushed in a direction where I am. I am becoming more and more of a socialist. I got to be honest. <laughs> like uh, outwardly, I, 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 it's hard, dude. I, I got fired. I don't. I didn't tell you this. <laughs> you got fired from your job. I got fired from my job. Yeah, oh, fuck damn. them. Um, literally the day back from break. Well, now you have to be a socialist because you got to collect that government paycheck. That's what I'm saying. So I'm literally living off the government right now. You know I'm what? Doing this podcast. This is my job. <laughs> So Gene, it's like it's like things happen to me and I start getting I start moving in this direction where I'm just like like and I I'm not the only person I know that like just doesn't have a job right now and like doesn't have an income and it, and it's like when the when the free market is shut down what the fuck are you supposed to do? Like we're we're the country is built on this idea that you can go out and make pull yourself up by a bootstraps and and make a living but like when you literally can't it's like then what? You know, and then when unemployment runs out and then like there's so many factors here where it's like, I don't have health insurance right now. Like what the what am I supposed to think? Am I supposed to be like, well, I just took a I took a tough L and I have to just like, you know, how do you not if you're if you're on the left already and that type of stuff happens to you and you see the the way things are right now, like how do you not move in that direction? You know? All right, let's move on to this next thing here. This was so we found this in two conflicting papers. Uh, you found this article in the Federalist, is that right? Yeah. Which I believe is a uh, it's sort well, it's of like this, a right leaning kind of, thing, right? Yes, it's a it's a right leaning publication, but it actually it the fact that this is coming up is fitting because the thing that we're going to talk about is uh, the fact that. There was a New York Times piece where the uh, the writer of the piece, his name is um, 
Kevin Roos. Kevin Roos wrote this piece entitled How the Biden Administration Can Help Solve Our Reality Crisis. Reality crisis meaning basically disinformation, the idea of what is fake news and what is, and sort of implying confidence um, in Americans uh, to stop believing in hoaxes or try to understand what is a hoax and what isn't, given all the information that's on the internet. Um, and there was a lot of reaction written by the right. Uh, f- rightfully so, I, to be fair to the right on this one, because the plan that's laid out in this piece, to be fair to the author, he's really just setting the piece up and he's talking to a lot of experts that have a lot of ideas. So they're not his ideas, really. But the idea is that the QAnon group chats and all of these you know, message boards and, and chat rooms and Reddit threads and, and everything, um, there's a lot of misinformation being spread uh, on social media, period. To be fair, again, not necessarily just the right, but they are the ones that stormed the Capitol. And, and last month, so you know, there he's the ones that he is. They are the ones he is writing about. But he talked to a bunch of um, uh, sociologists that had some ideas, uh, and one of the ideas that came up was to appoint a reality czar. Several experts he spoke with recommended that Biden, the Biden administration put together a cross-agency task force to tackle disinformation and domestic extremism, which would be led by something like a, quote, reality czar. Um, I'll be honest. When I when I saw it come in from the Federalist, I was like, oh, Gene, where did you, where'd you find this? What is this? And then I read it. And it's real. And it's ridiculous. <laughs> Well, it, well now, I thought it's not it was like real a- because they're not they're not going to do it. This isn't it's not like Biden is like, I'm going right. to appoint the realities are. It's something that some guy laid out. It's just some stupid thing that this guy wrote. But if a if this was in like national review in the Trump era or something, when Trump was believed to be sort of um, spreading disinformation, this would be outrageous. This would be outrageous if there is a thought that the Republican president was going to put a reality, like a a state run um, uh, arbiter of what is real and true and what isn't. It's insane. Straight out of 1984. (laughs) Yes. We we are finally in agreement. (laughs) This is insane. So, yeah, I mean, for all the flack that Trump took for supposedly colluding with the Russians, which was a hoax, he never he never thought about appointing a reality czar. But he, uh, Trump also was the reality czar. He was the one that was saying that he was, he was subduing the media and he was making the media illegitimate. That was like the whole name uh, of his game. Yeah, I wouldn't I, agree, to, uh, agree with that. I, oh, I, I think, do. I think Come the on, media geez. did itself a much bigger disservice than Trump ever could have as a, you know, by uh, um, insisting that they were quote unquote fake news. You think that the you think that the media did it completely to themselves. I will admit that the the Trump media coverage was heavy handed at times. But I mean, heavy handed is to say it diplomatically. It was absolutely unrelenting and purely cynically political. It was, and again, you know, another example. It's like you can't necessarily blame it on Trump, but the Trump administration and all of the effects during that administration led to the absolute degradation of American media and culture. I, I, I 
I don't necessarily agree. I think that it's a chicken or the egg situation because I think Trump. It is a chicken. I think or the Trump egg put situation. them in a position. Yeah. Like I, one of the clips that I played in on the Tuesday episode when I was setting up my my piece was uh, you were working at the radio station too. I don't know if you were there or not, but when fucking when Trump gave out Lindsey Graham's phone number on TV, and I don't know if you were there or not, but Ken. Duffy, the news guy at the time, ran into the studio and is like, guys, you'll never fucking believe this. But Donald Trump just gave out Lindsey Graham's phone number and like nobody knew how to cover that. Ken was sitting there just going like, uh, I, 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 he's like stunned because that was one of the first things that he did on the campaign trail where people were just like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Trump. And then he just did that for another five years. He spent five years doing yeah. shit like that. So what is the media supposed to do? Well, Trump absolutely destroyed the Overton window for politics. You know, it's really interesting to note that how much of our political process was not written explicitly in law, but was actually a matter yes. of culture and norms. The honor system. In a way, yeah. It's like certain things you just didn't do because they were yeah. they were like bad for the Gosh. process. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. really was how our uh, political system maintained some degree of cohesion. You are a hundred percent right. That I mean, it's in. I just read a book about this, uh, about the about the impeachment process, and they were outlining in the foreword of the book that the Constitution was written around the idea that George Washington was this honorable right. man, and it's like, oh well, he's he's the president, and he is he has this uh, sense of duty, and he's an honorable exactly. person. So we have this article of impeachment that's there as an absolute panic button, but we'll never need that shit because like. Look who's running the country. And then as history goes on, (laughs) that's not really the case. And if there's one thing that I can absolutely agree with you uh, in in terms of critique of Trump, just absolutely condemn is that, you know, his his office and his character specifically destroyed the Overton window in politics and opened up an entirely new way of behaving politically a bad way of behaving politically that's yeah and it's kind of like classless yeah and it's kind of like this idea that just because your indiscretions benefit you you know that doesn't mean that the president that you set isn't going to be used against you by your successor and that's something that people on the left should realize now that it's been and i think that people on the right have realized i don't know if they have but you know the things that you do while you're in power are not going to always be for your benefit indefinitely. And that's really the big lesson from Trump. But in addition to uh, just in terms of um, the Overton window at the same time, you know, while Trump destroyed the Overton window in politics, the reaction to Trump by the media destroyed the Overton window in the media. By none of Trump's doing. I mean, yeah, sure, he was, he did a bunch of crazy shit. But as the media, you know, I'm talking about the New York Times, CNN, which during Trump's uh, presidency went from a, you know, left leaning news organization to the left hand equivalent of Fox News at this point, probably even more radical than Fox News in terms of how left they are and how they kowtow to the, to the Democratic Party. 
it, it, it shouldn't be that way. You know, the media didn't have to cover Trump in such a cynical and um, in a dishonest way. It's like if you want to discredit the guy, he was easy to discredit. The things he did and the things he said and, um, you know, any of his legitimate, you know, any of the things that you could legitimately criticize him on were easy to criticize. Yet they chose to go in a direction that criticized things that were simply untrue about him. The Russian uh, collusion story was patently false. It was mostly false. And I even read the Mueller report. It was to like to 90 to 90th percentile complete bullshit. And they spent most three years of his presidency trying to impeach him on, on not, not impeach him, but trying to implicate him on those terms. You know, what an enormous waste of media and what a, what a discredit to the media that that's become. And as it, as it turns out, you know, after, even after he left office, they had this like fucking, self-congratulatory impeachment party at the, you know, at the house that impeached Trump after he was president. And then they were trying to go after him as a private citizen. This is fucking ridiculous. It's pure bullshit. Well, and it completely uh, discredits uh, the, the entire political know. system. Well, I mean, the impeachment is like a different story from the media. But what I'm saying is as much as Trump has discredited the political process, the left during Trump's presidency has discredited the media in the United States, where at this point, we don't even really have a free media. You know, what we have in this country doesn't even account for a functioning uh, media system. It's all I, I don't bullshit. know that we're going I don't know that we're going to know that until after like we need some time away from Trump, because I, I dude, I, I think I understand what you're saying. I agree to a degree. But I also think that part of the issue was that Trump was so dirty. And I'm not even necessarily saying that he did anything because I, I don't have a list in front of me. Of well, shit because there's nothing that as, he as did president, but, necessarily, right? But dude, it's like, so the, 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 the no, the I, on the left, no, 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 equally as corrupt. No. Joe Biden. Yes, they're Democrat, corrupt. Of course they're corrupt. Equally, the, dude, I'm saying literally equally as corrupt as Donald Trump, not even a, but, a degree less. If not more, but Don, Donald Donald Trump going into office, that the fucking that piss dossier. How do you not cover that if you're the media? Which was fake. They as did well. that to Clinton too. The piss dossier. I, if you if you have those, if you that whole paper trail, dude. Like if you're in the media, you absolutely track that story down and you try to cover it. And then may, it might have gotten overblown, and tying him to the, to the Russia stuff might not not might not have act, been as factual as turned out to be you know but at the same time it's like look back at clinton at bill they did the same fucking thing to him the media the media always well, does with this. monica Lewinsky, Absolutely. which was just fact yes but that was fact that was real he did cheat on he did have a um, an affair with monica Lewinsky. Yes, he did. But I'm saying <laughs> it's completely it, it different. <laughs> but I'm saying that you you chase down scandal. This is like what you do. And and I don't think that But if that you're going to chase the down scandal, was it's like you you have to have, you know, if there there was a point in this in, in uh, you know, American history where the New York Times actually did research and was actually a reputable news source because they had integrity. The whole concept of the American media was based on journalistic integrity. And 
it's absolutely been abandoned because of the incentives with the internet and clickbait and all these kind of things. And just, you know, the cynical importation of unscrupulous actors into the, into the media itself. I mean, dude, the times got his taxes and the, and that was, that's legit. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't really know about, let, I'm let's just, just saying know if that- you have like Trump, part of the issue with Trump is that he is so dirty, man. Like he has spent years, even if he's not as dirty as the president, there's a long history of him being a fucking scumbag in New York City. Okay, but then fucking people out of money. But what I'm saying is, suing people, dodging taxes. They reported on aspects of Trump that were wholly fake. I mean, they they were anywhere from fake to just conjecture to just basically opinion pieces that pass as fact. You know how many stories were there? Was a lot of that, and that's fair. And but but do you look? Can you imagine why? It's because the media in this country is completely controlled by a small group of elites, which ties it back to the Democratic Party and people higher up in the media itself. I mean, Trump was yeah, but I dude, I don't I don't believe that people are getting orders to to. I mean, there's but, probably I do think there are more. Washington Post, New York Times, um, uh, all those places. If you're working there, you're if you're a reporter, yes, you're probably a liberal. You uh, have you know, to be, or else there's really no denying that. There's a well, but I don't think I don't. Do you think that conservative uh, reporters want to work at the New York Times? I, I don't think that there's I a lot of people. I don't know to. that that exists anymore. I, dude, I don't. I don't think. I think there might have been a time. Yeah, maybe there was a time like Chris Wallace. I think is a great example of one of the last actual journalists that works at Fox News. Shepard Smith was like that too. They were actually news guys that were working at a news network. And then Shep had to leave because he was like doing an actual news show and that didn't fit in, you know, with, with what Fox News kind of does. Now, Fox News is a whole different uh, beast. Like uh, One news network, all of the America first, whatever the fucking, well, all those, these those things. Are they the are agenda driven. Yeah, those are. Yeah, and MSNBC is very liberal too. I don't fully and believe that MSNBC. It's, MS- it's really come to the point where, you know, I think the way out of this in terms of the media, um, just in general, or at least a, a step forward, is if we can all agree to stop referring to these 24-hour TV news sources as the news. I think we should stop calling it the news. Fox News is not the news. CNN is not the news. These are news entertainment, really political entertainment. Uh, wrestling. Yeah, it's like wrestling. It's like that joke I used to do. It, that, Wolf Blitzer. That's really what it SummerSlam. is. SummerSlam. <laughs> uh, I think that they're good if if you need, like if something's going on and you need to see the breaking news. They have cameras on the ground everywhere. But I do think you're right. If you're watching Chris Cuomo or if you're watching Sean Hannity, you're watching a person give their opinion, right. which is not news yeah. particularly. Honestly, if you want to watch news on TV, network news, ABC, NBC, CBS, they're pretty fair for the most part. Yeah, people should really. I do think like I do think Trump is uh, Trump. I, I don't think he's as innocent as you're giving him credit no, for. No, I don't. But I, I do think that the. That. I think the 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 news networks that we're talking about, the CNNs and the MSNBCs, probably did go after him a little harder than than they should have, and it did discredit them in a in a in a way. But I also do, and I, to be fair, going back to the thing that got us here, this idea of a reality czar is also ridiculous. But 
it is a problem. I mean, this social media um, dissension that's happening, it is a problem. I don't think that there is really an answer. There was one funny answer that I thought was hilarious. Uh, this came from a program director at Moonshot CVE, which is a counterterrorism firm in London. Um, clearly, there's a public safety issue, but there's also very much a public health issue. One effective countermeasure, Mr. Clark suggested, could be a kind of, quote unquote, social stimulus, a series of federal programs to encourage people to get off their screens and into community based activities that could keep them engaged and occupied. Like that's going to fix the problem. We just got to put our phones down and go to the fucking food bank and help out for a little bit. It's ridiculous. There is no way out of this. You've said it in the past. We've had all these conversations over the years about the genie being out of the bottle and that that doesn't necessarily even apply to this. It just, as history progresses, we get introduced to some things that turn out to be bad ideas, you know, perhaps nuclear warheads being one of them. Everybody, there was a period of time, I think, when, uh, was it maybe the Iran nuclear deal where we were having a conversation and we had a guest on who was saying like, well, we should just disarm all the nuclear bombs or whatever. But, the technology exists now. So now you have to maintain the balance of power because if we don't have the nukes and let's say all the diplomatic countries in the world disarm their nukes in a perfect world, it's out there. We've had them for almost a hundred years at this point. So somebody could still get their hand on them and make a huge mess. And now they're the only person with a nuclear bomb. Kim Jong-un, uh, the rest of the world decides that we're not going to have, Oh, that must've been what it is. Nuclear North Korea. When we were talking about this, but the technology exists. We can't go back. It's the same. Like the internet is like that now too. It's like Twitter and Facebook and Reddit, these places, they all exist. There's no going back. You're not going to get people off the screens. The people that are in this rabbit hole already, they're not just all of a sudden going to be like, oh, like, oh, let me just flip back to the uh, uh, my trusted news source, the New York Times. If you're not reading the New York Times because you're reading Q... You're not going back. There's there's nothing that's going to get you back into reading what is thought to be objective news. I don't think that there's an answer to that. We This is a problem that we are stuck with, as far as I'm concerned. Do you disagree? Well, I both agree and disagree. I agree with the fact that there's no going back, and what we have is what we're stuck with. You can't undo the internet and you can't undo the circumstances that create the problem of disinformation. And it is a significant problem. The problem on top of that is what is deemed as disinformation. In other words, we know that, well, that sure. there's information out there that's incorrect and has a tendency to spread and you know, captivate the the realities of people who engage with it. And we also know that the algorithms at play on YouTube and Facebook and all of these social media um, outlets are such that, you know, they take on a model that what you see is what you're going to want to see more of. So hmm. one place we can start is by abandoning that business model. But of course that business model is meant to create a positive feedback loop. You know, they want you clicking on things. They don't care what it is. They just want you clicking on it because that's how they make money. 
right? You click on stuff, it gives mm. you more information about, about what you like, and then they sell your data to advertisers, right? For targeted ads. So that's one place to start. But the other problem, as I mentioned, is that, you know, who gets to decide what is information and what is disinformation? Clearly, right. there's stuff out there that is wrong. And it would be better yes. if people did not believe it or weren't exposed to it. So the problem is not really that things have changed substantially in terms of the type of information that's out there. I mean, these were problems that existed, you know, probably since antiquity, you know, more in the 20th century and, uh, you know, going into present day that what, what's changed is the scale and the speed at which it spreads. That's what the internet has innovated on in the internet is a information sharing accelerator. You could put it that way. The speed at which it spreads and the scale to which it spreads is unprecedented. And what we're seeing is a sort of economy of scale of ideas. Whereas before you could never really get 20,000, 20 million, but let's say 6 million people believing in, flat earth theory in a matter of months, it would be impossible for you to gain that sort of traction, you know, by placing ads in a newspaper or postcards on, you know, under the windshield wipers of cars, but now it's possible. And what we're dealing with is, you know, this self-perpetuating mechanism that we don't know how to control. And, but what, what we do know, we may not know the answer, to how to solve it. But what I do know is the answer is not to appoint a reality czar, a guy who sits there on the button and goes, no, this is not information. And this is, this is asinine, right? And it really plays right into the idea that a lot of people, particularly on the left, but really a lot of even young people today have this, um, have this feeling that all of the problems in society can and should be solved by a central authority. This is really the crux of the issue is that people feel like they don't have agency and they, for some reason, can't just not engage with this content. They need somebody to come in and, you know, and you, you tell them, you tell them what you can and can't watch. We need oversight. And this is, it's a psychological problem in addition to the incentive problem that we have. Oh, so I got to go. When we See were kids. Oh. <laughs> Are no, you done? No, no, I'm kidding. But I do. I do. I do oh, have okay. to go soon, actually. Yeah, I know. We have to wrap anyway. We've been talking yeah. too long anyway. But I, I do think that um, when we were kids, do you not remember? I ha- There was a whole lesson plan for us teaching us how to read a newspaper. And not just read a newspaper, but check if something was legit. But when you send me stuff, Gene, when we're we're, we're about to plan uh, the show or the segment now, w- when we do this, I always when you sent me that Federalist thing, I was like, well, this isn't a source for me. I have to go find this somewhere else. And we've done that in the past, where you've sent me stuff, and be like, I want to talk about this on the show, and I had to find enough sourcing for it to pass my test to be like, okay, this is legitimate. This isn't some shit that Gene found on some you know Russian uh, Reddit site, you know. And that was something that they taught us in school. They taught us how to read a newspaper. They taught us how to go check if something was legitimate, check to see if a couple places. Dude, when we, I was on, 
I was the one that found when we were on the air when Prince died. I was the one that sourced that and got that to air. And I wasn't like I saw it on TMZ, and I didn't. I was too soon to call it because I was sitting there and I was just like, I I can't just go off TMZ and say that Prince is dead on on the air. And then it came in and like the New York Times, a couple other places. I was like, all right, we got to run with this now on 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 air. But. That was something that they used to teach kids how to do. I I don't know if they can still do that because there is so much disinformation out there. And the other aspect of this is that newspapers used to have the re, part of the reason they had a level of credibility was that if they got something wrong, you would wait for the evening edition or you would wait for the next day and they would ha- they would print a retraction or they would print there would be there would be mistakes where they would print the mistakes and say we got this wrong. Sorry guys. And in the days where you just used to read the whole newspaper cover to cover, that was an important aspect of this. Newspapers had a lot of pride and I'm sure they still do it. I don't read the times cover to cover ever anymore. I have the website and I, if I see some shit that I'm not interested in, I don't read it. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't click it. The thing is they do print retractions from time to time. You know, it probably not isn't as often as they should, but even if they do print a retraction, who's reading the retraction? Back in the day though, people did. It was an important right. aspect of because, it where it was like, oh, shit, they got this thing wrong. Because if, if a newspaper constantly was fucking up, they went under. They they didn't stay in business. Because why would you right. read a newspaper that's always wrong when you can read the newspaper that's always right? You know, unless you're the New York Post where you just read it because it's fun <laughs> and not because it's ever right. You know what I mean? But there, right. that's what I'm saying. It's like there's a there's a degree where it's like, that's one of the reasons the Daily News is in such bad shape because they're like mediocre. They're even for New York Metro News, it's like why wouldn't you just read the New York Times instead of the Daily News? It's like they're. I mean, there's plenty of reasons not to read the New York Times, well, but they're they're all the same reasons. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, I mean, uh, by by what merits are the Daily News bad? Well, probably by those same merits, the New York Times is. It's like there's this. Um, fragmentation of news to such a degree that, you know, the, the fucking jig is up, right? There's the people have no confidence in news because it's coming from sources. And first of all, and not first of all, but the other aspect to it is that the things that people report on nowadays is a lot of times, not even a story, you know, somebody with three Twitter followers might say some shit on Twitter and then some journalist maybe perhaps that the New York Times will read it and be like, oh, you know, people are upset that Joe Biden's watch is uh, too shiny. And what does that mean for his view of, well, you know, that's poor editorial. People. That's allowed to be written. But the problem is that editorials are probably make up, I don't know, 90 percent of news now of stuff that you see on Twitter. OK, right. Yeah. What? News article have you seen that can't be categorized as an editorial in the classic no, sense? No, I mean it's very the New York few. Times, man. Like I, I, I there is they're still in there are editorials, but they are still covering the news. I, I think, and I mean they're they're laying out the way it's written. They're laying out facts the way it's supposed to be. Here's what happened. Blah blah blah. Lead. There may be that arm of the New York Times that just reports flat news, and I'm sure. You know, I'm sure that is the case, but they also report a lot of things that are touted as news, but are really editorials. And I mean, really, I think the only the only news source at this point that flatly reports the news at all is probably the Associated Press. 
Well, yes. Which is where everyone gets their shit from anyway. And I, I mean, personally, how do I even know that? Like I just said that. How do I know that? I don't know that. I just said that. <laughs> Tra- traditionally, you know, you're you? right. Traditionally, you're right. And that's the problem that the confidence in news has absolutely been, de- you know, degraded. People have no confidence. I don't know how to get well, it. Well, I, I have right? confidence I in what, what I read, forward but is. it's been labeled as liberal shit. New York Times, Washington Post. Um, I mean, The Atlantic is like a magazine, but... Yeah, I mean, and dude, I think part of it is also like you had tabloid. The Huffington Post at some at one point was considered like revolutionary, and now it's a rag. It, it, there's there, it's literally there were there. It had a five year run where it was like accredited, like a like oh, Huffington Post has it. It must be legit. Now it's like the I haven't heard the Huffington Post break a story in like years. So yeah, I guess they you really also have these. Yeah, I mean, you have these like boutique fucking news outlets. You know, you have the Gawkers. You have like uh, Gawker used to break stories. Gawker, I mean, some of it was like tabloid. They broke the Hulk Hogan sex tape story, <laughs> but wow. yeah, and I mean, dude, part of it is part of it is that I do wonder if they're very afraid of getting sued. People are much more litigious now than they used to be. I know that. Hulk Hogan basically ended Gawker for suing them. Oh yeah, that's know? right. So there's a million reasons why news is not what it used to be. But yeah, I, I think I think it's hard. I think there's also you know the new media is to just like make your own thing, you know, and there is an entrepreneurial spirit even in information and entertainment and media for people to be like, you know what? We're going to be like the counterculture New York times and we're going to do journalism our way or we're going to do, yeah, you know, but see that that's an interesting point because what that leads to, you know, by <laughs> there shouldn't be an entrepreneurial spirit when it comes to reporting the truth. Right. For sure. You know what I mean, you shouldn't be like, well, I'm going to report a, like a new truth, like a, my truth. No, I, I agree. <laughs> But the problem is that that notion of like, I'm going to report on my truth is also very trendy and culturally, you know, uh, hot right now. Everybody wants to have a brand. That's another aspect of it. You want everybody wants to have a brand. And it used to be, you know, when we were we're in this middle generation where when we were children, we were taught to get a job, even if that was to be a journalist. Like I never when I was taking like media classes and stuff like that in college, there was never a mention of like, well, what's your brand? What's your, br-? it's like, how are you a good writer? Cause that's how you're going to get a job at the newspaper or that's how you're going to get a job in broadcasting or that's how you're going to get a job doing whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't like there was no branding class. There was like, like skill class, like write this. Show me that you can write. Show me that you can like read off a teleprompter. Show me you can do like whatever. And now it's just now, like, what's your Twitter? Show in- me your skin color. <laughs> no, get out of here. That's ridiculous. Are you a black woman? <laughs> You're hired. Uh, too much. Too much. Uh, sorry. I-, I was talking about the vice president. <laughs> All right. That's going to be in edit. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've gone on too long, but this is a bang for your buck here, folks. I mean, we really hashed it out. We hashed out every nook and cranny like we always do. Um, Gene, where can they find you? Is your Instagram suspended still? You know where they can find me? Right here next month because I'm <laughs> off of all social media at this point. My Instagram, by the way, didn't get suspended. You I didn't got uh, rid of it. Yeah, I didn't get. Yeah, I just got rid of it. I mean, I just refused to be a data mine 
for the fucking big tech companies. I'm, I'm fucking you're done. off the you're off the grid. Yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with you know the <laughs> social media um, incentive. Structure. It makes your appearance here all the more alluring. This is where you can find me. <laughs> Gene Getman, everybody. All right. That does it for Mike Coscarelli. Rules is a very long extended edition of Social Villains. Uh, I'll be back on Tuesday with another episode. Don't know who the guest is yet, but someone will be there. And until then, I'll see you soon. Bye. Mike Coscarelli Rules is hosted by Mike Coscarelli. Executive producer, Mike Coscarelli. Supervising producer, Mike Coscarelli. Edited by Mike Coscarelli. Sound design by Mike Coscarelli. Podcast and social artwork by Chris Cheney. Special thanks to all the losers and the haters. <laughs>